gesagt, ah. When I think about my earliest music memories, I remember sitting in the backseat of my mom's Jeep, hearing things like Always Be My Baby by Mariah Carey, Waterfalls by TLC, Runaway by Janet Jackson. My sister would control the radio and I would sing along as much as a five or six-year-old could. But it wasn't until 1997 when I finally got music that I could call my own. I got my first full-length album on CD, and that album was Spice by Spice Girls. I remember frantically turning the pages of the booklet and seeing each of them in their multicolored letters and their individual styles and outfits and being captivated. I would put that CD in my plastic, multicolored CD player cassette combo and I would go to town. I learned every song. It felt empowering to know the full album and not just the singles. Of course, Wannabe was everybody's favorite. It was a smash hit across the world. But I got to listen to Say You'll Be There as much as I wanted to and dance to it. That's the one that really grabbed me as a child. This CD had a huge impact on me. I remember listening to Two Become One and yearning for love, knowing it was in some realm of, of subject matter about love. I didn't, of course, know that that song is about safe sex, too. But that's okay. We miss a lot of those things when we're children. I remember dancing to Love Thing, being transported to a different decade with Who Do You Think You Are? Disco, something I didn't understand at the time, but knowing that I went on a ride somewhere else. I remember my sister's drill team having a dance to If You Can't Dance and learning every move in my head as I watched her practice. Spice Girls sold over 100 million albums worldwide, and they remain the best-selling girl group of all time. Their individuality was their superpower as a pop smash group. Anyone on the street could name each member and also tell you something about them, which differentiated them from other acts. After a lunch with the Spice Girls in the wake of Wannabe's release, Peter Lorraine, the then editor of Top of the Pops magazine, and his editorial staff decided to devise nicknames for each member of the group based on their personalities. They became style icons in their own right, and their meteoric rise to fame was instant and lasted only a few years before they disbanded. The press was incessantly covering every move they made. They had voraciously devoted fans and stood for so much for so many groups of people. Of course, they had a large LGBTQ following, with Bunton stating, the LGBTQ community was a big influence on the group's music. A desire to be more inclusive also led the group to change the lyrics in Two Become One, from any deal that we endeavor, boys and girls feel good together, to, once again, if we endeavor, love will bring us back together. The former appeared on their debut album, and it was changed to the latter lyrics for the single and music video release. Despite that show of allyship, the speculation surrounding a certain romantic relationship within the group continues to be a thing of mystery. I'm not going to talk about that today, but if that piques your interest, you will love my next episode. Hint, hint. Ultimately, they stood for something that we didn't see a ton, that you can be proud to be feminine and have fun doing it. 
But don't get it twisted, these women were no pushovers. They took charge of every moment of their career, having an unprecedented level of autonomy that many other artists, particularly women in the industry, don't enjoy. All that to say, I couldn't think of a better act to kick off season three, all about my favorite girl groups. This season, I'll span from the 90s to the 2010s with multi-part series about each group, beginning with a solo episode to get into an overview about the lifespan of the group, and then something more topical for part two with a guest. Of course, I'll be salacious at times. Many of these groups were shrouded in controversy, had speculation and rumors and big moments in the press, of course. But I also want to tell a story and create a narrative for why these groups were so impactful in general, but also for me. We're going to have fun this season and really branch out past what I've done previously. If you're listening to this, I'm beyond grateful that you're embarking on this journey with me. So without further ado, let's get into season three of Jesse's Girls. I'm your host, Jesse Chambliss. Spice Girls. <laughs> let's dance. Mel B, Emma Bunton, Mel C, Jerry Hollowell, and Victoria Beckham were individuals who did not know one another before embarking on what would become a lifelong endeavor. Bob and Chris Herbert of Heart Management wanted to create a girl group to compete with the popular UK boy bands of the time. And so in 1994, they posted an ad in The Stage, a popular magazine at the time. And out of 400 girls, they whittled it down to Posh, Mel B, and C, and another woman named Michelle. The original vision was to have five women in the group, originally a lead singer with four backups, but that's not what they got. Uh, Melanie C actually missed her second callback because of tonsillitis, and according to Jerry's autobiography, she missed the first round of auditions but convinced Hart to let her audition in round two. Michelle, Jerry, and the others were brought back again for an additional performance to Sign Sealed Delivered I'm Yours, and Mel C actually wound up as a last-minute replacement for that performance. And so these five women became Touch. After moving into a house together, they started work on recording and choreographing their own dances. Michelle was booted and replaced on recommendation from the Spice Girls vocal coach with Emma Bunton, with the lineup that we all know and love. In a writing session, they wrote a song together called Sugar and Spice, ultimately changing their group name from Touch to Spice. By late 1994, the group felt insecure because they still didn't have a contract with heart management and they were, frustra they were frustrated with their management team's direction. So they persuaded Herbert to set up a showcase performance for the group in front of a bunch of industry folks, A&R men, writers, people from studios and producers. Uh, and in December 1994, they received an overwhelmingly positive reaction. The Herberts quickly set about creating a binding contract for them because they should have done that in the start. And encouraged by the reaction that the women had received at the showcase, all five members refused to sign the contracts on legal advice from, among others, Victoria's father. 
The following month in January, the women started writing with some folks that they had met because of the showcase, and it is in these sessions that the songs Wannabe and Two Became One were written. In March 1995, the group parted from heart management due to their frustration with the company's unwillingness to listen to their vision and ideas. And so to ensure that they kept control of their own work, they allegedly stole the master recordings of their discography from the management offices. The next day, the group tracked down a Sheffield-based songwriter, Elliot Kennedy, who had been present at their showcase and persuaded him to work with them. Through other contacts that they had made at the showcase, they started writing and recording demos for songs like Say You'll Be There and Who Do You Think You Are. These demos caught the attention of Simon Fuller of 19 Entertainment, who signed them to his management company in May 1995. By this point, there was a lot of buzz surrounding the Spice Girls, and a lot of major record labels in London and L.A. wanted to sign them. After a bidding war, they signed a five-album deal with Virgin Records in July of 1995. Fuller took them on an extensive promotional tour in L.A. where they met with studio execs in the hopes of securing film and television opportunities. Their name was also changed to Spice Girls at this time, because a rapper named Spice had already claimed that word. The new name was chosen because the industry folks often referred to them as the Spice Girls. The group continued to write and record tracks for their debut album, and then in 1996, Wannabe was released in the UK. It debuted at number three before spending the next seven weeks at number one, and it was a global hit, hitting number one in 37 countries. It was number one in the U.S. for four consecutive weeks. It was not only the best-selling debut single by an all-female group, but also the best-selling single by an all-female group of all time. Spice Mania, as it was called, ensues as they release their debut album. Wannabe is then released in the U.S. in January 1997, which is wild to think about with streaming now because you would never delay the release of a song when someone can just go find it on the internet in 2022. The album sold over 23 million copies worldwide, becoming the best-selling album in pop music history by an all-female group. It was seven times platinum in the United States. And then, at the height of all of this mania... At the 1997 Brit Awards, Jerry Hollowell, Ginger Spice, wore the dress. That famous Union Jack dress that would continue to be associated with Jerry still to this day. They then performed their first live UK show, which is wild that they hadn't performed live yet. At the Prince's Trust Benefit Concert, they apparently breached royal protocol whenever Mel B and Jerry Hollowell planted kisses on Prince Charles's cheeks and then pinched his little tush. It caused a little bit of controversy. <laughs> At this time, they also began filming Spice World in June, and they wrapped it in August. So there's a lot happening here. Whenever you lay it all out next to one another, you can see how much they were doing in a short span of time. The group would go on to write Stop for their second album about being overworked by management and frustration with fame. Spice Up Your Life becomes their fifth consecutive UK number one, but they were criticized in the United States for releasing the album just nine months after their debut, giving them two simultaneous top ten albums in the Billboard album charts. Ariana Grande has something to say about that. They did start to suffer a little bit of overexposure back in the UK, though, 
and the media, of course, like they do, specifically for women, began to turn against them. The group was criticized for the number of sponsorship deals that they had signed, over 20 in total, and they began to witness diminishing international chart success. Nevertheless, the Spice Girls remained the best-selling pop group of both 1997 and 1998. During the 1997 MTV EMAs, the Spice Girls were set to perform, but that very morning, they fired Simon Fuller. Uh, They still performed their song, You Would Never Know, that they had just fired their manager. Jerry allegedly had stolen an assistant's phone that had their schedules and business contacts as they intended to manage themselves from here on out. They released Spice World, and in 1997, they were the most most played artists in the United States for the year. After missing two shows in Norway of their world tour, Jerry announced her departure, citing creative differences initially. Her story then changed to exhaustion and delusion, but the media was speculating other things, including a conflict with Mel B. The group was adamant that they would continue to operate as a foursome and that they were still a group. By the end of 1998, they released Goodbye, which served as a de facto farewell to Jerry, despite her having a hand in the writing process before she had left. So the song took on a new meaning. Mel B and Victoria announced pregnancies, and there are some intermittent solo releases from current and past group members. And I like a lot of their solo music, to be honest with you. Uh, What Took You So Long by Emma is great. Not Such an Innocent Girl by Victoria, phenomenal. Mel C has some great dance music. Of course, I Turn to You. So they did enjoy some success as solo members. Of course, they were never going to replicate what they did as a group. But it doesn't mean that some of the music wasn't still good. They began recording Forever, their third studio album, in August of 1999, with a release of November 2000. The album peaked at 39 in the U.S. and lost a chart battle to Westlife in the U.K., debuting at number two. I imagine a lot of you do not even know who Westlife is, if that gives you any sort of indication for what was going on in the music industry at the time. Very popular overseas, but not so much in the U.S., Holler became their ninth UK number one, but didn't chart in the US, even though it is a bop. They basically stopped all promotion in December of 2000. And that was ultimately the disbandment of their peak era that we know. They always said that they were on a hiatus, that they never indicated that they were permanently broken up. And we know that seven years later in 2007, they announced a reunion tour. The first London date sold out in 38 seconds, and so they added 16 additional London dates, all 16 selling out in one minute. Viva Forever, their musical, opened in 2012 on the West End in the Piccadilly Theater, and all five were in attendance for the premiere. In August 2012, the Spice Girls reunited to perform a medley of Wannabe and Spice Up Your Life at the 2012 Summer Olympics closing ceremony, and of course... People went bonkers. It became the most tweeted moment of the Olympics with over 116,000 tweets per minute on Twitter. 
Throughout the years, there have been multiple reunions, semi-reunions, fleeting moments where we really get the Spice Girls again. Over 25 years later, we are still captivated by these women, and I want to try and put their success into perspective for you. Spice hit number one in several countries, including the UK and US, selling 10 million in the UK and 7 million in the US, 23 million worldwide. Spice World hits number one in the UK and number three in the US, selling 14 million worldwide, 5 million in the UK, and 4 million in the US. Forever debuts at number two in the UK and number 39 in the US, selling 2 million worldwide. Every single in the UK went number one, except for Stop at number two and Headlines Friendship Never Ends at number 11. They have one number one in the US and three other top 10 songs. This was over the span of less than four years that they achieved all of those things. Their movie Spice World grossed over $100 million at the box office. That's not even getting into all of their endorsement deals, all of the brands, the amount of money that they made in that span of time. I mean, it is, it's unfathomable. And for them to still hold so many records means that they were something special. You know, I, I really think that TLC ushered in what we would view as the contemporary girl group personally. And I'll get into that. Spoiler alert, there will be a TLC episode. But I think the Spice Girls were in a lane of their own. Aside from everything that I've already spoken about that makes them special, they also were a mostly white group of attractive women whose messaging could be more forgivable because of the packaging, sonically or otherwise. So we have to approach the Spice Girls with nuance. They were using sex appeal in a really positive way, a reclamation, but they did have an element of privilege that allowed them to do so. And that doesn't hinder anything that they did or devalue them at all. But I think it's important to discuss and at least to think about as we examine them with our current eyes. Still yet, I absolutely believe that they deserved every bit of success that they got. They worked really hard. They took control of their own careers. And once again, they gave us something that was missing. We really needed that strong feminine presence. Women needed that, of course. But I think the world really needed that at that time, especially in the late 90s. Women were obviously becoming really prominent forces in the music industry, but only in certain genres and only if they looked a certain way or did a certain thing. You know, Lilith Fair was the sort of overarching way that women were breaking into the music industry at that time in the 90s. Everything was guitar laden and, and grunge, post grunge still. We needed that ushering in of teen pop, which would later give us so many more people that have changed the pop landscape for forever. And the Spice Girls really did that. But this all came at a price, right? They suffered consequences for all of the fame and how quick that it happened. The mania surrounding Spice Girls was compared to Beatlemania. And if you've never watched videos or heard stories or read about Beatlemania... You have to. People were absolutely beside themselves, crying and screaming and passing out and doing irrational things whenever they would see the Beatles or just get a, a, a glimpse of them in person. That same sort of mania was replicated with the Spice Girls. And, you know, 
we don't have that sort of monolithic celebrity anymore, someone that unites all different types of people because all of us who might have interests that aren't the mainstream now have the opportunity to have access to them. But I do believe that, you know, people from all walks of life genuinely did love the Spice Girls. Whether you, you know, like them or not or really knew their music, you have a Spice Girls memory and a memory that you're fond of, for sure. And if you don't, well, you're listening to the wrong podcast. But that price was big to pay. They did have an image to, to keep up. They had pressure to look a certain way. Mel C has been really open about, you know, an eating disorder that she faced. Mel B was in a very toxic and abusive relationship. Jerry, of course, was exhausted and over it and left early and then faced backlash for leaving early. They all tried solo careers that would never match the success of what they had with the Spice Girls. And so they were able to create something wonderful, but of course they had to pay something for that. But to understand how famous and popular they were and why it would take such a toll on them, you really didn't have to be alive and old enough back then. If you weren't, it's hard to understand how we respond to celebrity now versus before. Now anyone can have a podcast, <laughs> guilty. Anyone can be an influencer. You, you can be an ordinary person and have the power to create a platform with yourself via your social media. You don't necessarily need anyone else. You can be discovered and go viral because you post something on TikTok. And that's just not how it worked. <laughs> These women had to go to an open audition. They had to be chosen out of hundreds of others. And, you know, they it, it could have been anyone else that was chosen in that moment. It's all about right place, right time, right attitude. And the stars really aligned for them. But I'm thankful that it did. So thinking about the dolls and the merchandising, you know, I, and everything else that came with them, the success with their music. I don't know if we'll ever have anything like the Spice Girls again in that way. Girl power, indeed. I know I teased earlier in the episode about a relationship potentially within the group. If you were unaware, this is about Mel B and Jerry. So if you are interested in learning more about that, you will definitely want to tune in next week. My part two episode is coming out with Leah, who is a friend of the pod. She's been on before, and we're going to get into the timeline, the speculation, even things that have been said over the past couple of years about it, you know, 20 plus years later. So tune in for that. Absolutely. Things you can expect the rest of the season. I am going to cover TLC, as I mentioned, Danity Kane, Pussycat Dolls, Little Mix. I really care about a lot of these groups and they're really impactful to me personally. Spice Girls being my first, you know, ever full length album is absolutely a core memory, really shaped my music taste for what would come. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Uh, and some of these other groups have different memories for me. <laughs> And I hope that you will journey along. And as I'm posting on social media, please share your memories about these groups, the messy, the funny, the sentimental, whatever it might be. I want this to be a really interactive season. I'm so excited for what is to come. And I know that this was a very quick overview about the Spice Girls, but as you should know by now, 
in my last episode about Brittany um, and, and bonus episodes that I've done about Lindsay. If you are a former or future girly, a bonus episode is never off the table. And I will do that at any point between seasons, in the middle of a season, it doesn't matter. If there's breaking news or something I didn't feel like I covered and I really want to dig in deep, I'm always about a bonus episode. So please let me know what you want to hear about regarding these girl groups that I mentioned. I want to know what you're interested in. I'm always going to talk about what I care about because it's my podcast, but I do want your input and it's really important to me. So in order to be able to connect with me, to give your input, please find me on Instagram at Jesse's Girls Pod. If you know by now, hopefully there's no I in my name, just like there's no I in team, J-E-S-S-E. So find me there. Shoot me a DM. If you've been following me with the Britney stuff, you know my DMs are always open. I love to respond, and I want to have a conversation. There are other announcements coming up, of course, especially for the new year. Uh, I can't announce them yet because mostly I've been dragging my own feet, but I promise you 2023 is going to be the year of Jesse's girls. So spice up your life, and I will see you next week. Oh, 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 oh,